So with Father's Day, you know, you, at least I do, I started doing a lot of thinking about uh, going back to the very first time uh, that, I, that I met my two kids, and I know that sounds kind of weird, but they say that you, when, when you become pregnant for, for women, that they feel an immediate bond with their kids, and I was very excited uh, when Brooklyn was pregnant with both Ethan and Dean, and I felt, I felt somewhat of a bond. Um, I, I can't say it was like a mother's bond, but for me, it really sank in the first time that, that I saw both Ethan and Dean. And, and so just thinking back to how when Ethan was born in the middle of labor, the doctor looked up and said, get a chair behind that guy because he's about to pass out. And she was talking about me. And so one of the nurses had to go and get a chair and put it right behind me in case I passed out. Um, I, I don't do well with the sight of many medical things. And and then when we were getting ready to have, when we were getting ready to have, when Brooklyn was getting ready to have Dean, uh, as it was go time, the, the doctor looked at me and said, I'm going to need you to hold your wife's leg. And I said, that's not going to happen. You're going to need to get a nurse. And he said, no, really, you just, you just hold right here. And I said, no, really, that's not going to happen. Go get a nurse. And uh, I didn't. And they did go get a nurse, and I didn't pass out, and so everything was great. Uh, but just thinking back through both the times that I first met those boys right after they were born, and it just really sank in that I'm their dad, and just taking me through all the, all the memories. The first time I tried to dress Ethan by myself, like who knew? Who knew that dressing a child was so difficult? Like, you think they would just lay there and, and let you help? Oh, no, this kid's a fighter. You might not know it by looking at him, but he wouldn't let his arms, or, and then I'd, like, wrestle his arm up, and then it would just flop down. He wouldn't hold his arm up for me. And so it literally took me, like, 15 minutes to get the kid dressed in a onesie the first time that I dressed him all by myself. Like, it was just a whole new experience to me. It was something I, I was unprepared for, and it was a change. It was a change that, that, I, had to, that I had to get used to and I had to grow accustomed to as a dad. And it changes you. It changes you as a person. It, it changes how you, how you look at life. It changes, it changes a lot of things about you. Well, whether you're a father or not, if you're, if you're somebody who follows Jesus, what we've been looking at the past couple weeks is that there should be a change within us. There should be a change within us. And that many of the things that come naturally to us, many of the things that come naturally to us as a culture that we see on wide display all around us, and we just have to look around and see these things prevalent in our society, that, that, we're, to, that we're to act differently than the way that we oftentimes would choose to react in the first place or act or react in the first place. That we're to act differently. There's to be a change within us that changes the thoughts that we think, that changes the words that we say, that changes the ways that we conduct our lives. Because when we boil it right down, every thought that we think, every word that we speak, everything that we do or don't do defines who we are. It defines who we are at our core. And so as people who follow Jesus... We need to be defined in such a way that we look more like God and less like ourselves. And so we've seen that, that the analogy that's used is that we are trees that produce fruit. And, and what, what is told to us, the fruit of those people who follow Jesus, the life that the, life that the people who follow Jesus lead, they look like this, that they are full of love. 
And that's the foundation upon which everything else is based. But the person who follows Jesus, when people look at them, they see someone who, who is loving, who loves other people. That love is foundational. It is the very essence of God, and it's foundational to people who follow Jesus, that when people look at us, that is what they see, that we are loving. And so the very first thing that we see, the, the product of the life of somebody who follows Jesus, is that we produce love. And the next thing is joy. That we're loving people, that we're joy. We laugh, we have fun. We understand that a lot of times life is really hard, but we also see the really good things, and we're able to laugh and have a good time. And We're not just curmudgeon all the time. We don't have to be serious all the time, but we can laugh and have fun and find joy in this life. And so people who follow Jesus need to smile. They need to have fun. They need to laugh and be full of joy. So there's love. There's joy. And then the next building block that we've seen is peace. And all the craziness and all the turmoil that this world has to offer, we as people who follow Jesus, we can still find peace in a world that seems right now devoid of it. Because our hope doesn't come from political promises or political platforms. Our hope doesn't come from what our job is or even the balance in our 401k. But our our hope comes from the fact that we have a relationship with God who created us and who's bigger than all of our circumstances. And so the world can can be a complete wreck, and it is. But that doesn't define us, and that doesn't steal all of our joy and all of our significance. And so the person who follows Jesus is full of love, they're full of joy, they're full of peace. They're full of patience in an impatient world and an impatient society. They are patient. And then we saw that they're kind and they're good. That they're kind and they're good. And so these are the building blocks of what the life of someone who follows Jesus should look like. And and that is is where we left off. And today we're going to see the three final pieces to what the life of somebody who follows Jesus should look like. But the fruit of the Spirit... It's love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Faithfulness is the next step that we're going to look at this morning. Faithfulness. And so the question that we have to ask is, are we as people, are we faithful? Are we faithful? I think some of the wisest words that have ever been written about faithfulness state this. Highway run into the midnight sun. Wheels go round and round. You're on my mind. Restless hearts sleep alone tonight. Sending all my love along the wire. They say that the road ain't no place to start a family. Right down the line, it's been you and me. And loving a music man ain't always what it's supposed to be. Oh, girl, you stand by me. I'm forever yours. Faithfully. That's just a journey song, all right? It's just a journey song. But when you Google faithful, that is the very first thing that pops up. And so, guys... 
You might not learn all the chords to that, but if you want to sing it, all right, that'll help you in the romance department. Or if you're like, I'm not much for singing, that's just going to hurt me. Just download the MP3, all right? Just download it. And then the next time you see your wife, you just play that little ditty, and I promise you, things will go well. All right? So, so play a little journey. It's done every relationship well, and it will forevermore. It is phenomenal. But when we get to this idea of faithful, not just the sweet, not just the sweet tenor of Steve Perry, but when we get to this idea of faithfulness, what, what all does this entail? And are we people who are faithful in everything? Because one of the things that happens is, is we sometimes get in this mindset of I'm going to act, I'm going to behave in a certain way once I've arrived. I'm going to do certain things once I've arrived. We, we oftentimes see this in a career. That when you feel like you're, you're, you're in a stepping stone position or you're in a building block, but you're not quite yet to where you want to be, that you don't put forth all the effort, you don't put forth all of the passion that you otherwise would if you landed your dream role, but you tell yourself, as soon as I get there, I will. As soon as I get the promotion, I'm going to act this way. As soon as I have more responsibility, I'm going to conduct it this way. Or sometimes it's with our possessions. Maybe you don't have the car that you dreamed of, and right now you're just in the car that's in between. And so you tell yourself, well, once I get the car that I dreamed of, I'm going to take better care of it then. I'm going to put forth a better effort, but not until I get to that. And Jesus talked about this mindset in Luke 16.10 when he said this, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. See, what Jesus says is it matters how you treat the little things as much as you treat what's in your mind the big things. It matters how well you perform in the job that isn't your dream job because that sets the stage for how you will perform once you land your dream job. It matters how you treat your possessions once they're little because if you acquire more, that indicates how you're going to respond there. And so in a number of ways, we can tell ourselves, well, I haven't arrived yet, but once I get there, then, and it's a trap. It's a trap. Jesus says, one who's faithful with little, that is the person who's going to be faithful with much. But the person who's unfaithful with little can't be trusted with much because they're going to be unfaithful with much. And so in our, in our employment, in our possessions, in our generosity, don't believe the lie that once I acquire this or once I achieve that, then I will perform in this way. No, no, no. Jesus says, prove yourself with little. Be generous with little. Be faithful with little. Be passionate with little. And then, once you get much, 
that same passion, that same faithfulness, that same generosity will sustain itself. But when you are not those things with little, it's not going to change when your circumstances and situation change. And so as people who follow God, we are called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful stewards. We're called to be faithful with what God has given us because we understand that everything we have in terms of money, in terms of possessions, in terms of position, everything that we have, yes, we've worked for it, but ultimately it is God's and God has given it to us. That we don't really own anything. Everything in this world is God's and we are merely managers of it. Whether that's our position or our possessions. And so we have been called to be people who are faithful. And so if you follow Jesus, you need to be the most passionate person at work about your work. You need to be people who take care of the possessions that we have because they're not ours. Ultimately, they're God's. We need to be people who are generous, recognizing that fact. And when you say, but I, I can't now, but I will, Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's the wrong mindset. That's the wrong mentality. When you are faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. But when you're unfaithful with little, you will be unfaithful with so don't believe the lie that you can just flip the switch when you arrive at a certain level. Because it won't happen. Instead, no matter where you are today, start today practicing this idea of being faithful. You give it your best with what you have. And make sure that this becomes the routine and this becomes the way of life. Because then as you experience more success, as you experience the, the dream job, as you get the promotion, as you get the new car, whatever the case may be, they're the habits and the standards that you've put into place carry over. But the greatest indicator of how you will be when you arrive to the level that you want to get at is how you are now. So be faithful. Wherever you find yourself, give it your all. Do your best wherever you are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. It's gentleness. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I know that Father's Day can be a painful day for a lot of people. And there's this dynamic that, that, that's at play, and, and there's a lot of dynamics at play with, with people and their parents, and so I'm not trying to, not trying to generalize or, 
or, or make very complex issues simple. But oftentimes when Father's Day is a painful day, it's painful because there's a broken relationship between children and their father. And oftentimes it boils down to, to this concept right here. That at some level or another, there's just this, this lack of empathy, there's this lack of gentleness that's on display. And sometimes it's because we feel like it's unmasculine. Sometimes it's because you're just doing the best that you can. But the environment that you were raised in was even more rigid. And you're like, oh, if my kid only knew, if they only knew what I grew up with, then they would understand how well they have and how I've tried my best. But it can be tough. And those wounds don't just go on one way or the other, that the kid can harbor ill feelings against the parent, against the dad, and the dad can harbor hurt and bitterness towards their kid because they feel like they've abandoned them. And Father's Day, it can bring about just, just a whole slew of emotions, but oftentimes, if you boil them down, and, and not trying to oversimplify, oversimplify things, but if you boil them down, a lot of the issues that, that fathers and their kids have boil down to this idea and this concept. And don't misunderstand me. It is a father's job to, to make sure that they help their kids grow up, and it is a father's job to make sure that they they walk with their kids and, and that they don't baby them forever because every parent's job should be this, that we want to raise good functioning adults. And we can lose sight of that. We can lose sight of that in the day-to-day struggle of parenting. We can lose sight of that when our kids are just acting out and they're, they're making poor choices. But understand that our aim as parents is not to raise the best kids. Our aim as parents is to raise the best adults. And so in that, we, we do need to challenge them, and we do have to help them grow up. And sometimes love is best when it's tough love. And so it can be really hard, and it can be a very delicate balance here, and you, you just complicate things when you factor in the fact that none of us are perfect. We've all made mistakes, and we all continue to make mistakes, and it doesn't excuse it, and it doesn't make it okay, but it, it does just lend that this isn't an easy job. This isn't an easy job. I, I remember in college that my dad was one of the dumbest people I've ever met in my entire life. The man knew nothing. I mean, I didn't come out and say, you're dumb, you don't know anything. Um, there were a couple times I wanted to. I never did. But I was just thinking, this guy, he doesn't know anything. So, he's so old-fashioned. He's so, so out of touch. He just doesn't get it. And it's incredible how much my dad's learned in like the last 15 years. I mean, because he was an idiot then, but he's learned a lot in the last 15 years. So I really credit him that he's a lifelong learner and in a pursuit of knowledge. You, you, what happens is you experience new things. As you grow and you realize, oh, now I get it. I didn't get it then, but now, now I see it. The more perspective that you get, the more, the more life that you have, the more experience that you have. And so if there's harm in the relationship, if there's hurt in the relationship, not just with fathers and their kids, but in any relationship, 
whether it's a marriage, whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's, it's parents and kids, whether it's a work environment, just remember this. A soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so practically, as people who follow Jesus, we, we need to make sure that our aim is not to win every argument. Our aim is not to win every argument. Don't always try to win the argument. Because oftentimes what happens in our pursuit of winning an argument is we lose relationship. And it's just not worth it. When we step back, it's just not worth it. So argue about very, very, very few things. And learn to, be, learn to disagree without being disagreeable. That's a lost art in our society. That people can disagree without being obnoxious, without being inflammatory, but learn to disagree without being disagreeable. And do this. When you're upset with somebody, when you're angry, when, when you feel like you've been failed, when, when you're just burning, wh whether rightfully or wrongfully so, make, make this a habit of your life, to write out your positives. Write out your positives, but speak your negatives. Write out your positives, but speak your negatives. Again, in a way that is gentle, in a way that is not inflammatory, in a way that isn't angry, but in a way that conveys, this is what I experience, this is what I'm feeling, and I just want to be transparent in that. But don't throw it all down in an email, because that never goes away. Write your positives, because that never goes away. And there it is. So, once you got the journey playing in the background, pull out a little letter where you've just written down some of the things you most appreciate about your wife. You are going to have a very good evening. Have a little journey playing in the background. Pull out a letter where you tell her 20 ways she's failed you in the last month. It's not going to be a good night. That's not going to go well for anyone. When you fire off the email at work to the person that you're like, you failed at this, 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 and this, it's not going to end well. A gentle, a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. Make sure that gentleness is your guide. Be gentle. And make sure that that is your aim, that you're not trying to win an argument, that you're, that you're not trying just no matter what to come out on top. But be gentle. To say the negatives, but say them in a way that conveys that you're doing it because you care. 
and because you're concerned. It doesn't mean you push everything under the rug. It doesn't mean that you don't ever deal with anything that needs dealt with. But it means you do so in a way that conveys concern and care, and you say your negatives, but write out your positives. They will never go away, and they will go far in building up other people. And then lastly, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Self-control. That when people look at you, they see somebody who's fully in control. That you don't fly off the handle. You don't lose it. You aren't full of rage. But that you are under control. Peter, in a letter that he wrote, said it this way in 2 Peter 1.5. He said this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith in the same way that you would supplement a diet, okay, with vitamins or, or whatever else you may take. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So you're a follower of Jesus, he says, now make sure you supplement that choice that you've made to follow Jesus with these things. With virtue. And virtue with knowledge. So that you're full of virtue, you have the best intentions. And not only do you have the best of intentions, not only do you do what's right, but you have a sound mind. And you can back it up with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. Because understand this, spiritual maturity is not defined by how much you know. Spiritual maturity is not defined by how much you know. You, you may know the most about the Bible. You might be able to quote it chapter and verse. You might be able to rattle off a Bible verse about everything, but that does not define spiritual maturity. What defines spiritual maturity is what your life looks like. It isn't what you know, but it's what you do. This is how you convey how, how serious you are about your spiritual relationship. This is how you convey how important Jesus is in your life. It's not by your knowledge, but it's in the love that you have for others. It's in the joy that you possess. It's whether or not you're a person of peace, whether you are patient, whether you're kind and good, whether you're faithful and gentle, and operate your life under control. This is what defines spiritual maturity. This is what reveals how serious you are about following Jesus. And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And see, we've come full circle. That as people who follow Jesus, people need to see us as the most loving people. 
they've ever met. That doesn't mean sappy. It doesn't mean that, that we're out there under some guise. It doesn't mean that we have to change who we are at our core. It doesn't mean if you're not a hugger that you have to start hugging everybody. That'd just be awkward, no. What it means is that we're people who are concerned and who care, and that when people look at us, they know that we are concerned and that we care. This is what the life of people who follow Jesus should look like. And in a lot of situations, individually and collectively, as a church, and I'm not speaking just of, of Restoration Church, but I'm talking the church as, as a whole. We've done a really bad job of this. Because instead of making sure that we're known for love, instead of making sure that people see us for that, we're known as people who are trying to win an argument. We're seen as people who try to, try to just dictate everything else. We're seen as people who are very, very narrow. When in reality, we need to be seen as people who just love. And that doesn't mean that we don't stand for truth. It doesn't mean that we just let everything fly. No, sometimes love compels us to have the most difficult conversations with people you can possibly imagine. Because sometimes love compels us to tell people that the course of their life is off track. And that if they continue to make the choices that they're making, that they are inviting destruction and disaster into their life. And it's, it's unloving to see that and not say anything. But when we see that, we say it in a way that is loving and in a way that we're not trying to win an argument. That we're gentle. And in a way that we're not judging everybody else and looking down on them, but we're just in humility saying, I have issues too. I'm messed up as well. But I'm concerned about you because of this. So as people who follow Jesus, let's make sure we're not trying to win an argument. And let's instead just love people to the best of our ability. And there are some people who are easy to love. And there are some people who are really, 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 really difficult to love. And let's make it a goal. To love people no matter which category they fall in. And to lead lives when people look at us that they see love and they see joy and they see peace. They see patience. 
They see kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because we live in a world that is devoid of many of these things. And we have the antidote. The question is, will we be it? And that's only an answer that you can make for yourself. But the person who follows Jesus needs to strive to be known for these things. God, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd help us be the most loving people that people would encounter. I pray that we'd be full of joy, that we would have peace, not in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, not in a political platform, but in our hope in you. That we would be patient, that we would be kind, that we would be good, that we would be faithful, that we would be gentle with those we encounter. lead lives of self-control. God, the people, when they look at us, would not just see us, they would see you. Help us love people to you. We ask in your son Jesus' name.